Hi, my name is Aisha Small. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth and Education podcast, where I interview interesting guests to explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK. This podcast is brought to you by the Youth Think and Action Tank, LKM Co. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Youth and Education podcast brought to you by LKM Co. This episode um, sees me talking to Adrian Rogers, who's CEO of Chilton Learning Trust, Lorraine Hughes and Sam Simpkins, who made an appearance in episode 16. And we talk about system leadership. We talk about whether headship is a good preparation for being CEO. Uh, we also talk about how multi-academy trust can, acute, can accommodate flexible and part-time working. We also talk about whether system leadership, how system leadership in a MAT or multi-academy trust compares to being a senior leader in a school. I hope you enjoyed the episode. LKM co-believe society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at lkmco.org. Can we listen to it now? All right, I'm sitting here with Mr. Adrian Rogers, CEO of Children Learning Trust. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Children Learning Trust. And also, Lorraine, I don't know your surname. Hughes. Uh, Miss Lorraine Hughes. <laughs> and uh, what's, your, what's your position, Lorraine? Uh, it's called Director of Teaching School and Standards. Yeah, cool. And uh, Sam, Mr. Sam Simpkins. Mr. Sam Simpkins, you are the? Business intern. Thank you. Our business intern. I thought you were marketing manager. No, no, no. He's a, he's, a, he's a university student. He's trying to get his first class degree, and we're just doing some charity work by taking him on board for a year. No, he, he does a lot of our marketing, though. Are you sure he does do a lot of our marketing yeah, stuff? Yeah. Okay, so basically, we're just picking up mid conversation, but I wanted to, Lorraine, you were saying, so my question was basically um, the difference between head teachers and CEOs, uh, and Adrian was just outlining the difference, and then I was saying, you know, how. Would you feel about the fact that somebody from another business might come in and be a CEO and then you'd have your, basically, Lorraine's role? Um, and then you were saying about stuff that we could learn from other industries. So mm-hmm. just wonder if you could kind of pick up with that. Yeah, yeah. Our, my, my father worked in um, the organisation for Sainsbury's and he was saying the other night, we were in a discussion, and he was just saying that before you even applied for the next stage role, you would be prepared for it. So you'd go on a programme, leadership programme, you might get a coach, and then you'd go out into different organisations um, and different Sainsbury's supermarkets and learn the job before you went into it. And I think if you've got the right skill set... I don't really think in the modern system leadership age it matters whether you're a finance director or you've ever been a teacher or not, whether you're operations, as long as you ask the right questions and you understand the purpose, I don't think it matters. No, it's interesting because I think, generally speaking, I I was saying that there's a bit of a resistance in teaching. Teachers, like, people have to have been teachers Mm. and so on and so forth. So how would you, like, overcome, like, day-to-day teachers' fears, I guess, if somebody who wasn't who hadn't had a teaching background, was to be a CEO? I suppose it's about them doing the job and people learning to trust them, just like it is when any new person comes in and leads an organisation. But if you've got the structures underneath and you've got a really high-quality team that do all the education work and the school improvement work, I think the top 
woman or man, that becomes less of an issue. And if that organisation is moving forward, that um, no one's going to question that. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. That's, that's a good point. Um, Adrian, what are your views about... So we, we had a bit of chat at length, but the main difference between being a head teacher and being a CEO in your experience? Yeah, and I think they are quite different roles. Um, you know, as, as I said earlier, actually my, my exec headship and working for local authorities and consultant work and running a teaching school were much better preparation for CEO than, than um, headship. Um, I think of, of my former roles all within headship, you know, over 13 or 14 years, I think the local authority role and running a teaching school were much more akin to CEO, you know, and, and, I, and I think therefore that's my, my, my fear is that, you know, a lot of heads after three or four years going into a CEO role, I don't know as headship is the very best preparation. You know, we talked earlier about our senior team, we have a strong senior team at, at Chilton, I actually think some of their roles are much better preparation for CEO than the actual headship. I think I think the traditional career path, you know, when, I, when Lorraine and I and set out and, and, and you yourself, I used to set out, it was headship was the pinnacle. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no longer the pinnacle, you know, I'm not saying CEO is a, is a more glamorous job, but, but there are steps after headship, exec headship, CEO jobs, um, but I don't think that traditional career path will exist. I, I do think people who work in maths and do system leadership you know you look at some of the, the recent appointments they've actually come from out of universities or that you know at ceo level and they haven't come from a headship of a school you know you, you quote several large academy trusts that actually have taken people out of university they've taken people out of you know education charities and they've come across to be ceos they've never been ahead so i i, I know your point about getting people in from outside but i think that's starting to happen but, but if you just expanded that definition that actually people who haven't been ahead now being a CEO, I think I could probably quote seven or eight recent appointments that have been from education charities. That's interesting. Yeah. So within uh, as CEOs or within your trust? Uh, no, 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 not within our trust, but you know, within CEOs across the country. Um, yeah. You know, you look at people that are setting them up and that. I think as that the original model of five or six years ago was you had your outstanding head or your hero head and they'd set up a mat and they'd share that best practice and all the things that you know that, that, that Frank Green talked about when, we, when he first became schools commissioner um, but I think that's that's changing you know that, that generation of heads that have grown up and done that and set up their own mat will change as mats evolve mm. you know I, I remember coming across from being the exec head in another trust and I remember sitting at a national meeting and they said oh you're one of the first big money transfers because I didn't set up any of the schools in this trust they all ran before me I, I, I was never ahead in this trust I came across from you know 13 years ahead you've been in another authority and being an exec head for 10 years and then coming here um, and I think that's more and more going to take place and happen but I really genuinely don't think that headship will always be the best preparation for CEO there are different skill sets. You know, a CEO, you have to you have to influence. You do, you can't just act. You know, I think that's a key difference to headship. Headship, you still in standard academy, a head is still the person in charge, um, and I think that's that's different for a CEO. What would you say? Um, so the first time we kind of yeah. met ish <laughs> a year ago or so was to do with recruitment and retention. Yeah. What would you say that you've learned? about recruitment and retention in the intervening like year yeah. or so? Um, the more flexible you can be, um, 
with your employment better. I think times are changing in terms of flexible working, uh, returning mums, um, part-time workers, um, and I think getting that balance between continuity and skill sets is, is important. Um, I think that one of the, the big successes that we've had over the last year has been looking at, you know, particularly central team-wise, where you don't need that continuity with children day-to-day, Aisha. I think that's been really important. I think central team-wise, it matters not a job whether people are full-time or part-time. You know, we've picked up some really good returning mums who have got wonderful skill sets that perhaps felt within a traditional school environment that they'd reached a ceiling or they'd had to wait, they've got to wait for their children to you know, bring 18 or 21, you know, that, that just isn't the case. Um, and is this in like a um, professional, sorry, is this in kind of like senior roles? Yes, it, we've got some people in senior roles that are coming back part-time and and doing it as a return to work and, and, and that's been really brilliant for the for the trust to pick up that, that talent. Um, also, you know, in terms of recruitment, and obviously you probably talked to Sam when I've gone out of the room, but you know, it's it, different ways of doing things. The traditional methods just don't work anymore. And I think people of my generation and, and the older still perhaps look to those places, but I generally think the most of the workforce do not know. I'm not saying there's, we've cracked it, you know, we've just got an advert out and for 20 odd jobs and we've had 105 apply, it's been, which is great. Um, not always in the right areas, you know, we've had, but in the key areas we've had for headships and for senior posts, we've had a, a fair amount apply. Um, so, you know, we're not doing badly with our recruitment and, and Sam will quote you some figures of social media stuff, but the traditional methods are changing. And I, the good thing is actually, I think schools are getting better value now. Um, I remember when I first came here, £130,000 had been spent on advertising in one year in this trust. I mean, I think we'll probably be spending less than 10 this year. And that's because we're showing the benefits of doing things together. We're looking at innovative and different ways. Um, you know, I remember paying £4,000. Yeah, I remember paying four 4000 last year for half a page in our local paper. Yeah. And we track where people come from and we got one applicant from it and it cost £4,000. That's children's money. Yeah, just thinking that's several members of staff. Yeah, you know, £4,000 is a couple of allowances for, for for good members of staff or it's, you know, it's £4,000 you can spend on children's resources. Um, I mean, this year, we that was just for half a page advert where we got one applicant which we didn't appoint. Um, whereas this year we've spent just spent six thousand pounds mainly on social media, mainly on you know um, on, on internet advertising. When we've got one hundred and five applications, um, I just think I think the times are you know really changing, and I think it's you know, they're getting on my hobby horse. Things almost immoral spending so much money on it's, it's probably money to teach. You know, it's, it could be spent on teachers and children, and spending one hundred and thirty thousand is just and that's what. Your academy trust will be spent, some will be spending. It's just not normal. Yeah, and, you know, funders yeah it's much. you know, and, and I don't want to mention the main sources, you know, and I don't want to criticize you know, on your podcast the main sources because for many years I'm sure they've done a great job. So you say established media, established, established, yeah, <laughs> established media. I, I, just, well, I can't, I'm not going to pay £1,500 for an advert, mm. you know, for one advert, um, that's going to get no, no interest. Okay. Aisha, I do. Sorry for you. your podcast. I do have to go to a, no, a due diligence piece. Thank you. It's lovely to see you. Nice to meet you. Um, Lorraine, I'm going to turn off the thing in a minute because I'm doing a short one. Um, so, before you were a deputy, and now um, you have kind of a 
managed to run across the mats and wondering what you thought the differences were and also what you've learned about developing stuff. So the difference between my current post and a deputy headship yeah. post? Wow, big question. Um, I, because it's a quick podcast. Yeah. It's exactly what Adrian said about the leadership style. When you're in a school, what the, the significant difference I found is if you're a bit off your game one day, because um, you're not feeling quite well, you're not on your game, because people know you're good, they trust that and they don't mind that. The first thing I've noticed the difference between this is you've got to be sharp all the time. You have to think about everything before you go into a meeting and be one step ahead of everyone. So you don't get tripped up, and so you can keep your reputation, and so you keep things moving forward. So that's that been quite a challenge as well. Or yeah, I think so. I think because you're not there every day, and you don't have that same relationship with the schools, because you still work for the trust, you're still holding people to account. They may well get on with you and trust you, but it isn't the same because you don't have a daily working relationship. And we are, as a trust, in and out of the schools all the time. We don't sit in offices. I will be in all the schools this week without doubt, and sometimes more than once. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one key difference. The other difference is what Adrian said about influence. You you can't tell people what to do. You so when you're a normal you know normal leader, you draw on all your styles. Sometimes you're coaching, but sometimes you are saying that's what I need you to do. You you can't do that. You've got to influence because the heads are in charge of their school. So you have to show impact. So you're persuading them why this is a good course of action rather than do this thing. Or give it a try. Mm. If it doesn't work, so what? Let's take the risk. Let you know, or let's co-construct something together. What do you think? And and it's more coaching skills all the time. Mm. So you've got that's quite um, an energy drainer to stay one step ahead and stay in that coaching role all the time. You've got to be thinking constantly. So they're the kind of they're the main difference. And how we how you develop people. I mean, the trust again brings brilliant opportunity to do that because when you have a range of schools, it. A course will show you and tell you what outstanding is, but if you've got schools that aren't outstanding, to put some of your leaders and even your teachers, we do that a lot actually, expose teachers to different environments so that they can see what outstanding looks like and be immersed in it, I think that's a really wonderful opportunity for people to do that and we'd like to develop that a lot more. Yeah, you mentioned about kind of uh, the fluidity between schools, Mm. so in your ideal world, if you could get everyone to agree to it and all that Mm. kind of stuff... What kind of model would you have, um, given that you have a bit of you guys now, 12 schools there? We've got six official schools, yeah. and then, um, well, we've got seven, because Children's Academy is schools. an actual entity now, <laughs> don't forget that, yeah. so seven schools, um, and then we've got three in due diligence that are potentially about to, about to cross the line. Okay, right, so we've got, you know, you've got ten schools, mm-hmm. and lots of different, you've got a range of schools, yes. some of them are outstanding, so yeah. on. So if, every, if you could get everyone who needed to agree to agree... How would that look in terms of people tasting different schools and learning from each other? Well, I mean, I'd have cross-phase, definitely. Um, I'd have co-planning. I'd have heads of department and and teachers together. I'd have leaders sharing cross-school projects um, or or sustained secondments where they spend a period of time in a school, not just an afternoon. I'm not necessarily looking for them to teach in each other's schools, although that could be an option if you've got a timetable difficulty, you want to develop people. But just that immersion in a different experience to see how different schools work. We have that wonderful opportunity that our schools are really different in terms of their catchments, their context, their makeup, not just what offset grade they've got. So our, my vision would be that they spend a lot of time in each other's schools, mm. developing, coaching, questioning each other. 
Um, but we're, we're, we're still quite a new organisation, so we're a bit far off that. I think it's really, it's really powerful to stay in other schools because it's kind of, I've been lucky, I guess, in that I've worked in maybe like five schools in my okay. teaching career and it's kind of, each one has been pretty different. Yeah. And so I've maybe had roles for three to four years at a time and you learn so much yeah. from that compared to people who maybe have been at the same school for many, many years, which mm-hmm. there are benefits to both things because yeah. you get relationships, obviously. Definitely, and it's like yeah. you were saying about just the fresh eyes as well thinking you're right you made a point thinking about what it's like to be a newbie again you don't often reflect on that when you've been in an institution a while and the school could get the school the receiving school could get such good feedback Mm. from those fresh eyes because you often don't always have the same evaluation when you're looking at it yourself so I I think it's a win-win yeah it's good one thing that my current school used to do when we had um like visiting members of SLT was when we used to do internal reviews get them to be part of the team that did that because they'd always had like a fresh take mm-hmm. on things which was always really really bad, valuable yeah yeah that's, that's wonderful so sam you are who was it business intern business business intern, intern. Yeah, okay right. awesome i'm gonna talk to you properly in a, in a little bit that's all right but um from your point of view so your your background isn't schools no okay so i'm still i've done two years at uni mm-hmm. studying business management and then this is my third year, so getting a bit of experience, hence why it's business intern, because dabbling in a bit of everything. And then we'll go back and finish my degree next year, start of September. What's the, um, what's the one thing that you've seen that you think that schools could learn from other industries? Um, systems being in place, I'd say. Because, you know, you go to certain schools and everything's in a system and it works really well and it, it's all set out and then others where it's just not organised enough but if you see that in a business you wouldn't see everyone running around doing the same jobs that kind of thing getting confused but if there's a set system routine structure in place it works a lot smoother do you know what I think I definitely agree <laughs> the yeah. systems uh, like people want to turn schools from not that great to outstanding and like any school I've seen that does that systems always yeah. almost almost number one like people always think it's teaching and learning but actually it's systems mm. that's what I've noticed because it makes it sustainable yeah which is uh, not very sexy but kind of true <laughs> but there is research on that I can't remember what article I was reading about turning around a failing school yeah. um, and it said don't concentrate on teaching and learning no, to start not. with it's yes get right. there but actually the old fashioned old fashioned stuff like sort your behaviour out you know it's, it's all systems to start with I'm not saying systems always get you to outstanding um, yeah I think yeah. They, they help it to stay don't they so it's kind yeah. of otherwise you can it all falls apart if a person leaves or whatever it is hey people I love making this podcast if you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it there's a few things that you can do one subscribe Press the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. Two, share. Share this episode with somebody who you know will find it interesting or is affected by the specific issues covered. Three, review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also feel free to contact us via the links on the show notes. Thanks a lot. Bye.